looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends. Hey, wrestling fans, this is Gary Michael Capetta, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, the next match set for one fall to the curfew. Introducing first the manager, the guiding light, Captain Louis Albano. And his protege from the Fiji Islands, 251 pounds, Jimmy Superfly Snooker. And his opponent from Puerto Rico, 248 pounds, Mac Rivera. Well, folks, here in Jackson, New Jersey, Jim Cornette called him the world's most dangerous ring announcer, which might explain what what in the hell you were doing out in the front yard to Bugs Bunny there, because uh, Six Flags being up the street. What's up, Don? Oh, yeah. Um, are we going? We're, we're yeah, recording? Yeah, we're, we're, we're recording. Yes, it's Gary Michael Capetta, folks. Uh, How we doing, Gary? I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. Yeah, you're right. We're... Um, I live on a, a piece of property very close to Six Flags. Numbskull. Yeah, I guess Bugs was uh, trespassing there. That's why he had him in the headlock. I didn't even know Bugs was here. I didn't. He's part of Six Flags. Oh, oh, I guess that was part of your security team on this. Uh... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no respect. Um. Well, I guess I'll lead to the obvious question there. What? First and foremost, that uh, you're Jersey uh, born and bred, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I guess. You, or would assume you grew up on the uh, WWWF, the New York Territory, correct? I did. I, w- I grew up in uh, Hudson County in North Jersey, so we would get New York television stations. And Saturday night, midnight, right after racing from Roosevelt, was the WWWF uh, TV show. Well, back in the day there, who were some of your favorites? Bruno San Martino was my, the top guy. But there were a lot of guys that I just thought were um, kind of interesting, like there was Hans and Max Mortier, they were uh, they were kind of um, odd to me. Um, whenever the midgets were on, you know that that I thought was weird. We're talking about a kid in sixth grade, 
So you have to look at it from the eyes of someone that's in sixth grade. And at the time... The characters more so. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't even know why that I should be watching this. Because um, it was these people with not a whole lot of clothes on rolling around in, you know, in the middle of a sweaty arena. So you put that in the head of a kid... You know, it's going through puberty. It almost seems kind of dirty in certain ways. Yeah, it was like porno. And it was like, and I, I didn't let anyone know I was watching this until I knew it was okay. Well, where did, when did, would you say it hit that it was okay? Did, did you have a conversation with your folks or was it kids in school or? Um, I don't know. It was just a gradual thing. Yeah, I guess maybe I talked to, to other kids and maybe they watched it, but you know, it wasn't something that I broadcast. And actually, there was such a stigma on wrestling fans back in the 60s and 70s that even as an adult, you didn't go out of your way to say, oh, yeah, I watch pro wrestling. Because you knew that what they were going to say to you is, oh, that's fake. Like, what are you, an idiot? Yeah. Like, what, why do you waste your time doing that? So it wasn't, as a kid, it was strange because I'd never seen anything like that before. But even after you became a fan, it wasn't something that you broadcast. It was like a little underground network of, you know, we know that we're into this spectacle, and um, if they if they don't get it, tough. Yeah, one of those things. Well, did was anybody else in your family uh, fans that you kind of find out later? No, never, never. It was just it was just something just I found by uh, by surfing, by channel surfing, and 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 just got to like it. Well, I did hear a story because you've done a couple of interviews, and the one story I thought was very interesting because you mentioned his name right there off the bat and he's been a guest with us as well Bruno San Martino mm-hmm. can and I think you would agree with me because you got to you know deal with him as, as a colleague yes. later on what not only a consummate professional but we found him to be such a in other people have said such a uh, what's the Honest guy and straightforward guy, and yeah, he remembers everything. He's that, down to earth. Oh, yeah. You don't see that today with today's athletes or celebrities or Yeah, I think it, it's probably a rare thing where you could have a hero that eventually you would become you would become friendly with. Oh, yeah. That you would get to know him. And the very first night that I announced, I didn't meet him because I wasn't allowed in the locker room. I wasn't allowed in the dressing room back in the day. But he was in the main event. Okay. So the thrill of even just being close to him, you know, just to introduce him, was uh, was through the roof. It was amazing. And then, of course, as the years went on, I, you know, we became friends. But um, I don't know if anyone anyone out there, if you just think of someone that you really have high regards for, whether it be in music or in sports or in theater. And then one day you will become friends with them. Yeah, it's awesome. It's especially when the guy that you wind up being friends with is even greater than the image that was presented. And you, they always say there's that uh, level of ec- expectation or whatever that if right. you meet that person that they might not live up to that expectation. Absolutely, yeah. Or they'll just make that fandom or whatever you want. It come crashing down yeah they just may be an idiot they may be a jerk and they may you know have a certain and i'm sure there are those that are like this that have a certain gravitas would you say personal uh, um uh, public persona yeah and it's just 
all BS. No, but he was... Bruno, not. He wasn't I, like that at yeah. all. Because what drew me to him as a kid was in his interviews and in his promos, he just came across as being very, very genuine. Yeah. And I think it goes to um, the point that probably the most successful characters, there's a core of that... Extension of your personality. Of that wrestler, yeah, in there. Um, For sure. Yeah, he was was awesome. And it's great because he'll call either myself or the producer who set it up. You know, we had him on maybe a year and a half ago, Mm -hmm. two years ago. Maybe a little longer when it was uh, right around the time he was, you know, made good graces with New York again and all. And, but since then, it's been, we've either been at the same event that he was at, and he would make it a point to say hello, or there'd be phone calls exchanged with us. Either us calling him, hey, how you doing, Bruno, you know, just to, you know, just to see how, or he'll call up one of us and say, hey, how's everybody's doing, how's... So to say he's down to earth and humble and yep. however you want to put it, Bruno exceeds what you think of him as far as the in ring absolutely guy. Well, uh, I guess we'll continue with the uh, that first main event you actually called though with Bruno was mm-hmm. against uh, Nikolai Volkov, correct? Yes, it was in uh, the old Wildwood, New Jersey Convention Hall on the boardwalk, and at the time. They ran shows once a week in the summer in Wildwood. Makes sense. Go to where the people are. Right, at the Jersey Jersey Shore. In the summer, in the winter, they would be at the Armories Inland and at high schools and colleges. And then in the summer, we'd be in Asbury Park, New Jersey's Convention Hall, Wildwood, Atlantic City. The action would move to the Jersey Shore where all the vacationers were. Go to where the people are, that's for sure. Right. Hmm. But, uh... How did you end up getting, and I, I noticed obviously from doing a little bit of reading and acting like I know what I'm doing here as far as an interviewer goes, but uh, how did you get uh, connected with Gorilla Monsoon who gave you that big break? Um, the At Wildwood, the first night that I announced, I didn't know that he was the promoter. I didn't know that he was part owner of the WWWF. It was Capital Wrestling was the business side, but... I didn't know that he was he was an owner there, and um, as the weeks went on, um, I came to to know that to understand that I had just graduated from college. I had a teaching degree. I had gotten a, a teaching job in the fall after this first summer of announcing just in Wildwood, and he called me up and he asked me if I wanted to continue with him. So I said sure. So I would um, he would promote. New Jersey, Eastern Pennsylvania, and Delaware. And he had an average of two shows a week. And weeknights could be a weekend at you know, any time. So I would teach school in the daytime, and I would announce for him at night, because everything was within driving time. Yeah. So he, um, I guess he liked what he saw. I don't know what it was that he saw that he liked, because I had no experience. I had no um, formal training. I... I just volunteered one night to announce and got in and did it. So, um, but when you, the best way to learn how to do anything is to do it. Which, speaking of which, because obviously when you look at like TV today and even back in the day too, you know, 
from when I was growing up in the 80s on. Okay. As far as TV, pay-per-view, things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's either got notes off to the side or they don't, like, they don't have cards. How did you uh, try to remember everybody's like, oh, suck, girl of monsoon is six foot five. I never did. Yeah, when you do the announcement. When you see me from the first day that I worked, that I announced until my last day in uh, WCW, I always had it in my hand. I I was, uh, I, I just wasn't that confident that I would remember. So what's the big deal to have the information on a card in my hand in case that I blanked out or I didn't know? So I never did memorize them. After you do the same guy over and over again, yeah, you don't need to look at the card. But I did I did have them. I wasn't that bold. Was that something, one of those you keep in your jacket pocket or something you, like if, that? If you look at any old YouTube um, clip, you'll see it in my hand. Yeah, well, I, I meant if you needed to grab them. I wouldn't have even done that because that would have because that would have shown that I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I wasn't I wasn't going to risk that. Even even like for all thirty five years that I that I did the ring announcing, I had it in my hand. Did uh, any of the bosses or the promoters or anybody booking throughout that thirty five year period uh, give you grief for carrying your information that you needed? No, I'm not sure why you're. Considering it to be negative. No, no, I don't consider it negative. So why but would you consider them to think it was negative? It's, well, you never know because you always like you you see guy you don't see it often. That's why I'm what they care it. about is your delivery and how you interact or don't interact with the fans and the wrestlers and the fact that you have it written. You know the information written down doesn't it's inconsequential. Yeah, speaking of which, of interactions with uh, talent and whatnot. Early on, uh, if I remember hearing this correctly and reading this, George Steele used to uh, give you a little bit of grief in the ring. When yeah, he always that. used to chat. He scared the hell out of me. I was I was just a kid. I was a, a 21-year-old kid when I started. And um, the first time I introduced him, which was at a television taping for the WWF Network, he jumped me and he sacked me and he was on top of me on my back <laughs> and he was pulling my my coat off and he was eating my carnation boutonniere and he scared the hell out of me <laughs> so every time he approached the ring i i wouldn't stay in i'd get out and it was legit it was he scared the shit out of you pretty much yeah because and i know that this is very difficult for a fan or an indie wrestler of today or a you know any wrestler of today to conceive of but I wasn't allowed in where the wrestlers dressed for probably two years. I wasn't allowed to go near the locker room. Anyone that wasn't a wrestler or a referee wasn't allowed. So there was a separate place for me to dress. Well, I'll go back to the question I was going to bring up with uh, about the interaction in a minute, but... The whole respect thing with the dressing room and everything like that. Mm -hmm. You said it was about two years, but do you think there was a certain instance that where you finally earned that respect of the boys? Yes, because when I was introducing everyone and they could see how I reacted to them in the ring and that I respected their craft and what they did. And I knew enough that if... For instance, um, a blackjack mulligan approached me and was yelling that I would, 
I would always defer to him. I would never, ever, ever like get in anyone's face. Um, with the professionalism, I think that I can't, and it was just a natural thing. It wasn't something I planned. Um, I think they, they saw that I was, um, that I contributed to the show. Never sold a ticket, never, you know, but I was, a, I, I, I elevated their craft. Yeah. You were spoke in a wheel. In my little way. Yeah. And, and I guess that that was why. And then when Monsoon brought me in and when Monsoon, um, quote unquote, embraced me and, and would call me into the locker room to give me the lineup, that he, he was the leader. Gorilla so, carried a lot of respect in his... Absolutely. So when they saw that and then I was allowed in the locker room, then it was an unspoken message. But nothing was ever spoken. Nothing was, was ever said. It was just, like you said, over time, you kind of earn that yeah. respect and yeah. professionalism and all that. Yeah, because your you're modern fan and your, your audience needs to understand that they held themselves out to be a legitimate competition. Whole different time period, whole different ballgame. Even it though it was... They had their crazy characters. <laughs> you know, even though there was a George the Animal Steel, even though there was the Beast... You know, even though there were the Samoans who um, we thought couldn't speak English and they had Lou Albano as their mouthpiece. So, but it was always held as a legitimate competition. It was sanctioned at the time by each state's athletic commission. So they were protecting their, the facade, their business. And they weren't going to just allow me who could be a loose cannon in there to say, I witnessed those two guys that were in the main event last night playing cards with each other, yeah. you know, or going out for a beer together. I mean, the guys would never arrive at the arena together if one was a heel and one was a baby face. And they stayed at separate hotels and just a whole... Yeah, it was gamut. an entirely different You protected culture. the business so much, it was... Yeah, and well, even... In the 90s, with WCW, when we would tour in Europe, we had two tour buses. The baby the good faces. Guys and... and the bad guys. So that when we pulled up to the to the um, the sports halls there in, in Germany, you didn't see the Nasty Boys with the Steiner Brothers. It just... It didn't. It just you know, wasn't what and it that was. And that was, you know, toward the end of the, the kayfabe era. Yeah. Well... You know, since we were talking about both guys real quick here, uh, would you, and we mentioned Bruno and how high esteem he was, would you say Gorilla was the same way? Absolutely. That he was better than what you would have thought of him? Yeah. Well, Gorilla went through, as far as professionally. Yeah. When he began, he was this giant guy from Manchuria. Yes. Who didn't speak English, who had a huge bushy beard. And I think Wild Red Berry was his manager who did all the talking for him. So he he was, but actually he was a graduate of Ithaca College and, and a three-letterman. wrestled amateurly. He wrestled, he was a track and I think maybe football. And, but that's that was his persona. So he went through stages and then, um, quite honestly, I don't even, that's a huge transition from a beast from Manchuria to all of a sudden being accepted by a clean shave as a clean shaven guy and an announcer and everything else that you saw later on in his right I, I don't know how that happened to tell you the truth 
Yeah. But, uh, and I was reading about him today. Obviously, I don't... Do you still talk to George Steele once in a while or hear from him? Or? When I... Uh, on the road sometimes, we'll run into each other. Yeah, because... I, and I, I don't know what it was, but I was reading it a little bit and don't know the extent. Nor... Not, and you know how thing is. Everything is on the internet. Everything on the internet is true or not true or whatever. But heard that George was dealing with some health stuff, so... And I know you... Out with him, but yeah, we, not, we hope that he's doing okay. Absolutely, I'm not up on uh, how he's doing health wise. I know yeah, I heard there was some stuff, but I don't know the extent of it. I so. know he's had issues with health, and I um, the last time that I was in touch with him, which you know it's been a while now, um, he was doing well in battling those issues. Yeah, yeah, something with his kidneys, like I said, I don't know for, but we hope he's we doing wish, okay. We wish him well, yes. absolutely. You know, another great guy that we got to deal with on several occasions, stand up guy. But I want to ask you about him before we move on. Do, do you think he gave you a little bit of extra grief because he was like you, where he also had one foot out in normal society as a, in the education field as well? Uh-huh. Which, of course, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Um, he would only come around in the summers because he was teaching in, uh, I guess, Michigan. Yeah. Um, he, well, what would an animal do? I guess... That's what would be in his mind as a character. Yes. And he actually wasn't attacking me. He was after my flower. <laughs> so, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It just so happened that the flower was, was pinned attached to Attached to you. Right. And your jacket. <laughs> right. And I didn't know it at the time, but he did me a great favor because in the WWWF, in the McMahon, early McMahon era you were not acknowledged as a ring announcer. You were never named on the air, no one, but he was drawing attention to me. Um, so I thank him for that. Jimmy Snooker, it was the same way with Jimmy Snooker a few Where years Where he had later. that kind of animalistic, cannibalistic. Yeah, and he attacked me a few times on television. Yeah. He tried to take my, he tried to take my clothes off. Well, I know I'm jumping ahead there, but you mentioned a little bit. Uh, about acknowledgement, would you say it was in the WCW days that Cornette and Jim Ross was a first, really, to give you acknowledgement? Hey, that's Gary Michael Capetta doing the ring announcement. They were and Tony Schiavone, they yeah. uh, Jesse Ventura, they were all uh, Bobby Heenan. They were all terrific. Um, it wasn't the first time that I experienced that because in between WWF and uh, NWA, I worked with Vern Gagne in the AWA, yes. right, and on ESPN. And we would always um, pass off to each other. And now down to Doug McLeod after I introduced the match. Let's go up to Gary Michael Capetta. So that was the first time that I was ever publicly... When you were working for Gagne. Yes. How was he as a, as a uh, promoter, boss, whatever you would have considered? He was a terrific... He was, he was like... I, I always uh, compare him to a politician. He always was gregarious. He always looked great. He always had a great... Um, Personality always made me feel well and, you know, fine and always complimented me. I, you know, any um, situation that anyone else had, I really am unaware of. Yeah. I mean, I read, you know, you read all the stories and, yeah. and guys tell stories in their shoot interviews or whatever, but he always delivered what he promised to me. He was pretty professional, straightforward with you then. With me, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we had a, we had a decent relationship. I mean, as a ring announcer... He would, and this was unheard of, 
he would fly me from the East Coast to Minneapolis to or Chicago to do his main events, his, his major, um, like, Wrestle Rock and, um, at the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. And we did uh, Super Clash 3 in Chicago. You know, and for an announcer, a ring announcer... To bring you in like that. Yeah, you know, for that extra expense that he would have. Um, I, I really appreciated that. It was, it was unusual because um, I started to announce for him um, on his ESPN show when it was broadcast out of Atlantic City yeah. at the Tropicana. But after a year, half of a year, he moved the show to Las Vegas. Yes. I was teaching at the time, so I didn't go with the show. Um, and, but he remembered me. And he, he always me kept in. a, you know... It was nice. It was very nice of him. And when I was there, he treated me well. Um, he had me in a hotel. My flight was a little later in the day. He had his secretary call me in the morning. Hey, Gary, what are you doing? How about if we send someone over, pick you up? They brought me to his offices. I hung out. I got to meet the people there. And then they brought me to the airport. That's huge for a ring announcer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they treat, sounded like they treated you like gold. You have to remember, like a ring announcer in in the scheme of of, wrestler, of the performance side, of wrestler... Commentator, referee, ring announcer. Ring announcer is at the bottom of the rung. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think we have a great, we make a great contribution. If we know what we're doing, we do it well. But a lot of people don't recognize, wouldn't know a good ring announcer from one that's not. It's like the same, almost like the same role as like a referee. The good ones you don't notice, but if somebody is. But the worse yeah, the work, you tend to notice it more. Yeah, but the referee is, is so much more intricately involved in a match. I mean, I'm not. Yeah. I, 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 I'm I not in any way. Yeah, but, but you still kind of, like you said, you notice but as the, the match, difference. as the match is presented, a referee can enhance that match or can ruin that match. Yes. I don't have that kind of input. But do you think... Uh... And actually, a, a really good ring announcer, okay. you're not going to... As the event is happening, your your attention is not drawn to the ring announcer. No. My job is to draw your attention to the stars, to the yeah. performers. And then later on, if you watch it on video or if you're just thinking about it, you might realize, how did I get so into that? Part of it was the way I announced the guy or I introduced the guy or, you know, but as it's happening... You, I should, you shouldn't even think of me. True. But obviously, you know, you're one of the names that is... When people talk about wrestling announcers, or ring announcers, obviously you earn some sort of respect because you're one of the names that are thrown out there. When people say, a hey, Howard Finkel, a hey, Gary Michael Capetta, or, you know, you go down a list of some legendary guys. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so you must have done something right, Gary. I, yes, I did. Do but, you know? Do you, do you think you know what that is? What why people hold you in such high regard? I think that um, I think my success is more built on believability than my voice. You know, um, Howard's announcing voice is is impeccable. Yeah. You know, there's there's, but there are other times as far as my um, importance to the promoter when I had to deliver news to the audience that was important, like changes of things or um, 
someone not showing up for a show. And I had a rapport with the fans that they believed whatever I, whatever I told them. And, and I think that was important. Um, and the tie between being a teacher and being an announcer is that I'm a communicator. So I know how to communicate, to be clear about what's going on. To, um, I, I would always put myself in the third row as a fan. And if I had to hear this news, how would I want to hear it? Yeah. You know, what would be the most effective way? So that, for instance, every month I announced for the NWA at the Baltimore Arena. Okay. And there were times when a uh, main event guy d didn't show, or even, you know, an upper, upper card guy. And I had to tell them, what you've paid for, you're not going to see. And then, in my announcement, what my goal was, was to try to get them to believe that what you're going to see instead is even better than what you thought you were going to see. Yeah. That makes sense. And I would always gauge my success in doing that, because um, they always had they always we all always offer, offered a refund, you know, if it was a main event that we were not going to deliver. So intermission, I would always check with the promoter and I would ask him how many refunds were there, and I would gauge as to how I took part responsibility, you know, in my head as to how well I did in getting them to keeping them there. Did you uh, do you find yourself uh, with some of those announcements? Uh, you yourself getting any heat in terms of even though you were just a messenger mm -hmm. telling the fans hey whoever didn't show up or whatever the case may be yeah I mean there was um, in fact one of the fans sent me a video it was um, I, I guess it was done on a camcorder when I was with WCW it was in the Meadowlands I don't think it was a televised event so it was just a, a house show homemade video of me telling the people that Ric Flair was stripped of his, his title. So we talking like 90, 91, when he made the jump to New yeah, York? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that didn't get such a great... There's nothing I could do with that. It wasn't You're just a messenger here, you know? Right, but it, it wasn't an announcement where, oh, I'm sorry, this happened, but instead you're going to get that. Yeah. It was just, I'm sorry, but this is, this is what happened. Yeah. You know, Ric Flair is no longer the world champion yeah and so i had no no way to bounce try to make a positive out of the situation yes. yeah and as an announcer when i would announce bad news whether i had good news to follow or not i would say it and just let people boo throw things whatever they were going to do and physically my communication to them was i know this sucks you were a fan too so you know right this sucks and and just pause and and let it sink in that i'm not happy either yeah. no one's happy about this what's up doc i'll tell you what's up based out of atlantic city new jersey geek time entertainment runs exclusively along with different events in the area to strategize with their partners who will benefit with increased exposure and patron traffic. Oh, Geek Time Entertainment will work with your event in increasing the event's traffic via social media, radio, and storefront advertisements. Holy cow! Also, they will help increase business for your company and event with different sales incentives. Duh. Whether your event will be small or even mid-scale, 
Geek Time Entertainment is the group to work with. That's what I'm talking about. Contact them today at geektimeentertainment at gmail.com or facebook.com backslash geektimeentertainment. Oh my god, who the hell cares? Oh boy, is this great! With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. But, and then I would roll into what the good news was. If you gonna, had good news about right. that show or whatever the case Yeah, there's is. a technique to it. And um, it's a matter of controlling a crowd. Yeah. And there's a, there is a power to that. Do you, do you find, speaking of that, do you find a certain, uh, where there's a lot of psychology and all, as far as the matches are concerned, do you find there's a similar thing as far as psychology of announcing as well? It's just that limited, what I just laid out, and yeah. also, I always introduce guys, whether you're the first match out or you're the last match out, um, I would never introduce a guy, and through my introduction, you would assume uh, he's just an enhancement guy. I would always give everyone the same respect, the same introduction. Now, of course, the upper level guys, they're going to get more of a reaction when I make that introduction. But I always, you know, everyone, everyone has a role on the card. And I, and I never would minimize whether it's the first guy out or the main event. Yeah. Uh, I want to throw this fan question out uh, because, you know, of what some of the things we were talking about a little earlier here. Uh, and you may even know the guy who's a friend of the show, Evan Ginsberg. Okay. Uh, he wanted to know, uh, first of all, uh, you know, you actually answered that first one, but do you, uh, notice more and more, like as far as if you see any shows and I know before we start rolling tape, you mentioned you don't watch much of the TV product, right? but if you're at a show, cause sometimes you're booked and whatnot. Yep. Do you uh, have a problem with, like, if you see ring announcers or getting involved with the show and whether it's interacting with the audience or the talent or even sometimes giving bumps to the talent? No, you know what my biggest problem with any with a, a ring announcers that I've seen, uh, and I once in a while I go out to an indie show, yeah. um, are ring announcers that don't pay attention to the match after they've introduced it. Ring announcers that will go in intro the match, sit down where everyone can see them and start going through their phone. Um, what kind of a message is that? That what's going on in the ring isn't important. Yeah. That, that is my biggest uh, pet peeve, let's just say, of, of ring announcers. You are part, as a ring announcer, you are part of the show. Mm-hmm. You are... Um, spotlighted in some way. So people look at you because you're sitting at ringside. So you are sending a message 
as to what's going on in the ring so that you should be paying attention to what's going on in the ring when a guy does an incredible move on another guy you should physically react to that like wow or oh no um but to sit there and go through your phone while the show's going on is sending the message hey idiots you just paid for something that i could care less about well speaking of that and, and, and yeah, can i ahead. if i might if i might you really free i would say the same i had a problem uh you and i you were you were kind enough to hook me up with tickets to go see Phil Vassar. Yeah. And I don't know whether you remember, but we were sitting there and I said something to you about someone that was on the side of the stage. Oh, yes. yeah, Early on in the show. Though. Yes. Do you during the opening act and all? Yes. During the opening act, this person that people didn't come to see, I didn't even know this. this... I think it was the guy with the soundboard, was it? Yeah, because you kind of saw like the soundboard and stuff off the... And he had this little flashlight. Yeah. And he kept on shining it toward the audience. And I'm trying to watch this musical act. And off to the side, yeah. And, and I'm getting distracted. Yeah, you, I remember you bringing this up. Remember that? Yeah. I'm very sensitive to that because it's very difficult for that performer to maintain who is not the headliner. He wasn't Phil Vassar. No, he was the acoustic uh, artist there. Right, he was the opening act. Yeah. And he's trying to introduce himself to the audience and he's trying to, to win over the audience. Mm -hmm. Now, do I really need the stagehand to distract the audience? No. And so he was undermining, and I don't think he meant to. No. I, don't get me wrong. But he was undermining the performance of this guy that's working his heart out. He probably was thrilled to be opening for Phil Vassar. Yeah. I see the same thing with a ring announcer who sits what, down at ringside, looks at his phone, or starts talking to... It doesn't have to be just a girl ringing a bell or whatever the yes, case may be. right, or fans. There's plenty of time in between matches or before the show or after the show to do that. Yeah. But when a wrestler is wrestling, that's where your attention should be and you should be reacting to it. Exactly. Evan's other question was, which I find interesting. Well, you really, been... hit, you really hit a button there, didn't you? Yeah, no, hey, yeah, <laughs> I don't mean good. to be like... <laughs> no, that, that is perfectly fine. It's... I don't mean to sound so aggressive, but... No, that... But I, I love live entertainment. Exactly. And, I, and I'm really supportive of the performers. Except, and and whether it's, the, like you said earlier, whether it's theater, whether it's yeah. wrestling or a sports event or whatever it is. Whatever, a magic, it could be anything. This I love the circus. And anything that detracts or undermines the performance, it annoys me. And I don't blame you. <laughs> on that one. Sorry about it. I didn't no, mean we, to. Uh, we're hey, still friends, right? I didn't mean to come at you. No, no, no. That's yeah. Just yeah. Put me. Take me out of the armbar, please. Uh, Evan's other question I found interesting though was because you're in the profession, was who do you consider some of the greatest uh, ring announcers and why? Um, well, when I started, I patterned. Everybody patterns themselves after someone else. Um, Jimmy Lennon was an old time ring announcer from the Olympic in uh, Los Angeles yes. and um, I always thought he was the he was great I always liked him okay there, there was another guy who um, I wouldn't want to, to pattern myself after as an announcer um, his name was friendly Bob Freed and he was the ring announcer of the old WWWF show and what I liked about him was and I guess goofy is a negative word I don't really mean to be negative he was like an everyman. Jimmy Lennon was a polished professional. 
But Friendly Bob Freed was an... He could be your buddy. He could be your uncle. And I like the combination of the two, of the professionalism and then the approachability of a, a guy like a Friendly Bob Freed. Yeah. So I think it's a combination. I think any wrestler, um, any an announcer, a performer, a musical artist, you're always going to pattern yourself after someone and then eventually get to a space where you've created your own persona. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, because I, I haven't talked... To, we had, like I said, we've had several guests of the generation where they had an interaction with what most people realize is, or call him Vince Sr. And you worked for Vince Sr. Because Junior was still... The, the now boss of the WWF, E, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he was, was still com- announcing. He was the commentator. Yes. yes. Uh, what were your impressions? So, you know, we haven't, I haven't brought him up much, but what were your professional uh, opinions of Senior? Senior was a very uh, classy individual. Um, he was very soft-spoken. He, he, he would, everything that you might think about from... Uh, like the old school promoter chomping on a cigar, you know, like he, he was just the opposite of, he was a very refined, uh, individual. Um, but he, he was very, uh, conscious of his costs. And, um, with me, I, at one time I asked him for a, a raise for the TV shows that I was doing for him. I think I was probably every night, every time we did them, it was three weeks worth of television. Mm-hmm. And I think I was probably getting paid $40 at, you know, each time. And I asked him for a raise once. And he just looked at me and told me, I can't afford that. <laughs> and I was speechless because I'm, so I'm talking to the owner of, you know, one of the hottest territories in the world. Yeah. And, but here's... And, and people can make what they want of it. At the end of the night, he told his money guy to give me that extra letter. that extra money. And every time after that, I got paid the $60 instead of the $40. But he couldn't say yes to me. In front of his like uh, lieutenants or whoever. Were. They were there. Um, I, I was never complimented, except by Monsoon, by the McMahons. No one ever would say, good job, Gary. Um, Vinny would just ignore me. So, I, yeah, I take what you want from it. Yeah. And I don't know, obviously I've met him in a different situation. Uh, Vince, Na- Vince Jr., the one in charge now, obviously I met him in a, a couple of times in a different environment and all. But would you say he was a... And I'm not trying to bury axes, but you don't seem to have an axe to grind. Uh, snobbish or nose to the air amongst somebody Who, like Yeah. Um, but he's, I think he's very insecure, actually. And um, I think he, over, he would comp- overcompensate for that insecurity as the boss's son, you know, by strutting around. I mean, what you see is the, that when he had that Mr. McMahon character, once again was an exaggeration of who he really is, the way I see it. Um, there, and and I, I'm making a distinction between 
the person and how a person who owns a huge business treats individuals versus his success in that business. So that anything that I'm, I'm, any difference that I might have with him and how he conducted himself with his help has nothing to do, it's not, does not undermine his success. I mean, yeah. you know, he's, he was... And we're, yeah, we're not bashing a guy as far as what he's done and accomplished. Right, I could just tell you how he treated me. Yeah. I can tell you how he sandbagged wrestlers to keep, in the early days, like in the uh, 84, 1984 or so, how he sandbagged wrestlers to keep them from getting merchandise money. Um, to have them, without knowing what they were signing, and it, hey, they signed it, so I guess they were adults and they were responsible for it, but they signed all of their rights away. Him knowing, because he, he was... 10 steps ahead of everyone else. Almost like that shrewd business side of things, yeah. Cutthroat. I mean, yeah. it was uh, it was really... Um, that was why Sergeant Slaughter left the WWF... With the whole G.I. Joe. In the, in the mid-80s, because he started to say, look, why aren't we getting... At the time, in the early days, there was no video that they sold. There was... All there were were these old, uh, discolored pictures that you could buy at the arena. Yeah. So, the toys... The the videos at the time the now the the C, uh, the, the DVDs, DVDs. they now didn't that's exist. even changed now with that network and everything else right so he had everyone I didn't sign it I didn't sign one I was given one but I wouldn't sign it he had everyone sign away their rights for the rest of their life and if anyone who signed that got any residuals. It's because he decided... Who got them and who didn't. Right. So, and no one was said, was was told, here, sign this, and this is what it means. Yeah. It's just, come on, boys, before you leave tonight, just sign these. And Where now, from what, you know, because I know some guys who've been there, and say, from the 2000s on, with a few exceptions of guys, but, you know, where today's... Or so, and when I say today, I mean of say, let's say, from nineteen ninety on, yeah, a little bit further from what you're talking about, where there are guys who are and gals, who are a little more educated to, yeah, as far as well, I want to go home and read this, or I want to have oh an attorney read it, oh. or I want you know what I'm saying. That where, makes you a, you're dangerous then. Yeah, that they I'm don't just, want they don't want you. They just want you to sign off. For right, them. they don't want you to think. You do what. Even though you're supposedly a, a um, an independent contractor, yeah, which is a bunch of bluey, yeah, you know, that's just a bunch so many of, loopholes there, you know, um, because when I can't work for anyone else and I have to be where you tell me to be, when you tell me to be there, make and to do what you tell me to do when I get there, I don't see that as being a, a self-employed contractor, yeah, because. And you hear about that all the time from certain people. So or, anyone, but anyone that had a brain like Sergeant Slaughter was... And it would ask questions on things. Right. Now, he was a major draw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was dismissed. So that sent a message to everyone. And well, if they let him walk, you know, what? Well, what's he going to do to me? That's right. And now he wound up doing really well with the G.I. Joe series. And he went over to the AWA for a while. And... Right. He, he did very well for himself. 
And it's interesting that in business, and, and, Vinny, and Vinny's all business, Slaughter years later came back and was in... I don't know if he still works with them. Uh, yeah, I don't know what his step... But he was not behind the scenes after he retired. Absolutely. So there were no hard feelings. Actually, he gained respect from the guy that was trying to hold him down. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he wasn't going to be just a mindless um, imbecile. Yeah, because... And, and you see... Maybe not for that particular same reason, but it seems like, you know, uh, and I that I could see outside looking in, Vinny will look at business as business, and you may have had a disagreement with him, you know, talent, whatever, like Sarge, or for other reasons, that if you guys can make money together, the company and the talent. He'll bring you back into the fold. Yeah, whether it's the Ultimate Warrior or Bruno, as or, he should, and yeah. he's you know he's absolutely you know that's that's a correct way of conducting business. You know, and I definitely give him credit for that. And obviously, you can't believe everything you read on the internet and stuff that happened with different people. But it's I find it interesting that it that they leave it that that door is open. If there's money to be made there, you, you're walking yeah. back. Well, Bruno was the main. You yeah. know, was. Hogan also. Yeah, I mean, how they, many times has he been back and forth? And... Absolutely. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. The other thing that there's nothing wrong with is um, letting someone go. On the other side of things, um, I think that performers believe that when they sign a contract with a major organization, that they think they're there for life. And no, like when your run is over, it's time to say goodbye. Yeah. And it's up to you as an individual to prepare for the rest of your life. And McMahon or Triple H or Stephanie, they're not responsible for you. Like if they hire you when you're 25, they're not responsible for you for the next 50 years. No. So I, I sometimes guys get let go and there seems to be some kind of bitterness. And no, it's just time to move on. Do yeah. something else. And it's not the company. And perfect example, I can go a different direction with that is and granted the company is doing things with the wellness policy and whatever but it's also not the company's responsibility to handle most of these grown adults and some of them make better money than others how you save your do you save your money do you pay your taxes do you that's right yeah i mean do you think about that's right down the line one of my favorite favorite expressions is it's not how much money you make it's how much money you save and not just in wrestling, but in any in, walk of it. in life, people have a tendency to live, to raise their standard of living to what their income is. Yeah. And the way to get ahead is to, yeah, you treat yourself. You know, you begin making. I made really good money in WCW. You treat yourself, you know, here and there, but keep your standard of living where you are happy, and not a big and and bank that were the rest of that money yeah. because you never know what's going to happen in the future. And, um, and yeah, you're right. As an adult human it, being, that's your responsibility. Yeah. That's not the company you're working for. Right. If you're going to piss your money away, um, every night going to clubs on booze, on drugs, on women, on whatever, that's your problem. Yeah. And yeah. you probably would be doing that if you were working in a different segment of, of the population, if you weren't a wrestler. Cause I, I just, and it's sad because there's guys on the wrestling side of things 
that you know me. Not that you know the numbers, but you know they drew some good money or made some good money or however you want to put it. They should be able to live comfortably if they were smart, but they're out still working the indie scenes and for that. Well, you know what I mean? They're, well, the other where you shouldn't have to be, you know. The other side of that is if you're going to enter um, as opposed to music or as opposed to, to the stage or movies, if you're going to be an athlete, you need to know that your career is going to end when your life is only half over. Yeah. So you have to prepare for the rest of that. Have you educated yourself in any way? Have you developed a skill, carpentry, like whatever? People, if people think of um, when they were growing up, all of your audience, we all watch certain TV shows, yeah, situation comedies or dramas or whatever. From whatever decade you were in grammar school and high school, mm-hmm. think of the hundreds and hundreds of actors that you saw on the air, mm-hmm. and you have no idea where they are now. In reality. They didn't make enough money for the rest of their lives. No. They may be selling real estate now. They may have opened um, a restaurant. It's it's life. I mean, and, and as an athlete, you know the end is going to be halfway through your life. Yeah. Life expectancy, at least. Because, and as far as wrestling is concerned, or any other sport, like you said, or profe- other professions, you, know, you only have a certain amount of bumps in your... You have a certain bump card that maybe you might only be able to say like a Daniel Bryan where you may have had a couple more years, but your body won't let you. Yeah. So your body breaks down a little. Right. So it's back to being smart. Right. And the other thing is, is the, the guys that um, make those mistakes along the way are the guys that are highlighted. But I get a little annoyed because I think equal attention should be brought to guys that have um, made wrestling their career and have been good family men and have saved their money. I mean, there are equal amount of, or more of those guys than the guys that get the attention that... Weren't so good. Yeah, that fall off the rails, you know, for whatever, you know, reason. And not to make any judgments, but, but why don't we concentrate on the guys that we can admire? And they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to by do themselves right. and their families right. and whatever. And some of them are so upstanding that they're helping some of the guys that have fallen off the rails. Yeah. And kudos to them. A perfect example of that, uh, Diamond Dallas Page. That's right. Yeah. But uh, you brought up a good point there, Gary, with some guys having another trade or whatever. And I know a couple guys in the business who are friends of the show, again, who had other trades. Not did you have have a people look at you whether it was even though you didn't mean it with like a cockiness or anything where you knew you like you said earlier you went to school and became a teacher and were teaching as well right I believe what you have like twenty twenty five years as a teacher as well yeah so. did you did you have like a not so much an arrogance but a, you could su- breathe a sigh of relief going hey, this wrestling announcement thing that worked. You know, guess what? I got another trade I can go do. Right. I would have paid the bills. I would have never um, been a full-time announcer if it wasn't that WCW came and asked if I was interested in signing a contract. Okay. Because that was that was uh, Ted Turner. That was TBS. That was a well-established um, entity. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have given up teaching to announce for like a territory or... 
No, I just wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, I was just you know, fortunate that I had the opportunity when I did. But you knew at the, in the back of your mind there, whether the contractor ended up or whatever happens, you know, like you said, things you can't... Pre- were you, you had that in the back of your mind. Well, I can always go back to teaching, or I can. Yeah. You had that trade in the back of your head I'll that tell you, you can what, use. I was so lucky. I was so God was smiling on me, because when I resigned from my teaching position to work with WCW in 1989, they didn't want me to leave teaching, and the uh, administration where I was teaching said, "Gary, like if you stay." you know, you become department head. And, and I said, no, you don't understand. This is like a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to, after, after 15 years of announcing um, locally, to actually explore. They said, okay, we're going to hold your teaching position for a year. And if that doesn't work out, you're you, welcome back. You come back here. It's like, wow, can you imagine that? So that I was able to enter Turner and I was still feeling independent. Yeah. You know, because I knew that if they screwed with me in any way, if they didn't come through with what they promised me, that I had a home. You can or, go back to Jersey to, and... Yeah, I mean, that was... God was smiling smiling on me. And in fact, I did, after a couple of months with WCW, I said to them, this isn't working out, and we need to reshuffle the deck here on my contract. Because How were they about that when you brought up your concerns? Um, yeah, they, I mean, they satisfied them. Um, what it was, I'll tell you what it was, was when I entered there, I received so the top money for a pay-per-view, then a, a lower amount of money for a clash of champions, then a lower amount of money for a syndicated TV, and then a lower amount of money for house shows. And it was all good money. It was all really Was good. it all laid out in the contract? You get this X, Y, Z? Yes. Depend, like you said. Right. So I started in uh, September full-time with them, and I got a full range of dates. And as we got closer to September, they canceled this one, they canceled that one. So you're losing out on those paydays. Right. So that if I didn't work, I didn't, I didn't make money. Even though you were under contract, it was the same philosophy? Right. So after, the, after we got to October, and I saw they started getting canceled, I went in and I said, look, this isn't going to work for me. Because I need to know that I'm making a certain amount of money. Yeah. I need to know that at least I have a floor. So they changed the contract. Did they? So they guaranteed you that? They, they guaranteed me. And if those dates, based upon our original agreement, went over that guarantee, I got the extra money. Yeah. So I couldn't... But lose. you at least knew you had a certain level to right. cover your, you know, your nuts, so to say. Absolutely. The other thing I told them on the way in... What? And I guess this was like kind of brassy, but as a ring announcer, but I said to them, I travel alone. Like you, they wouldn't pick up your, um, your rental car unless there were three guys in, in the car. Okay. I said to them, I won't last. I know, I know who I am. I know I need my independence. So I don't share cars with anyone unless I choose to. Yeah. And I did along the way. And the guys... Because I, I had performer pay, but corporate benefits. Benefits. So they paid all of my expenses, all my food. They paid all of my transportation. They paid for a car to bring me from home to the airport. I mean, they paid me my hotel, everything. 
was this stuff that you brought up, or it was just, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're... That, All these perks. Those those perks were in that contract to begin with. They said, hey, yeah. The only thing I was um, disputing was the, if you're. I need well, to know I'm. You know, you're I'm making gonna, X amount of dollars. You know, right. And um, and so I would. Um, now I did. Sometimes I didn't want to travel alone, and because it can get lonely out there. Yeah. So uh, a guy like uh, Steve Austin would ride with me. The Undertaker rode with me once, and they would they would love that because. That was money that they didn't was coming out Spent. of their pocket. I would I would share my like my food, um, um, dail, uh, your my, daily allowance or whatever. Right for the food, for the hotel, for the you know with them. I was happy to do that. Yeah. And I I really enjoyed their company. Um, Mick Foley was out on the road with me. I mean, saying so, it was it was cool. Well, with those three guys in particular, Austin Foley Taker. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you knew them in their younger days and whatnot in the WCW days and. Yeah, that people was, know that stuff, but are you just dealing with the guys themselves? You know, here, yeah, I'm not talking the characters, and but are you surprised the success those three guys had? Absolutely not. No, no, for different reasons, but no, you're not surprised at all the success they had. No, no, the uh, the determination of Mick Foley, um, and and the the attitude of like do whatever it takes to entertain the people. He was there. Um, Austin and Undertaker, I mean, their their wrestling skills were just through the roof. Yeah. Um, yet they had very different personalities, which through the brilliance of McMahon, um, were capitalized on, because Undertaker, even though he was funny, you know, in in casual conversation, when he was in the ring, he had no emotion. When I walked through that curtain, it's time. To, Mark's over here. Taker, when it's time to go to work, he was Taker. Right, but he wasn't Undertaker at the time. No, he but should, you know what I'm saying. Right, but what I'm saying is he should have had emotion in the ring. That was a downfall of his when he was Mark Calloway in WCW. McMahon took that and made him a dead man. So capitalized... Right, once again, an extension of how he really was. Yeah. That he wasn't... Because athletically, he was supreme. All I all I could say, and it's been referenced before, is look at that match him and Luger when he had the bad hip, and to still have a the athleticism. There. Right, and and Austin was was different in the sense that yes, he had supreme wrestling skills, but he had a he developed his personality. He shined. Yeah, you could see that he had star quality. Uh. Well, I want to ask you, because I believe you were on the show here with uh, Foley, and we're getting ready to wrap up here, but... Uh, we can did, talk all night. Okay, but the, I'll ask you about Foley with the ear. Oh. You on that show. Yeah. And did, were you, was it true that you were actually the one that brought the ear back? Yeah, they flipped the ear to me. His ear, it all didn't happen that night. His ear was hanging off his head by yeah. the time he got there. Every night he would do this spot with the ropes, with the ropes around his head, and every night, even though the referee would um, try to loosen the ropes a little bit, his head was going through those top three two ropes. Yeah. Every night, nicking his ear little yeah. by little by little, and that's all cartilage back to the point here. where he had his ear taped down. That was before we went to Europe. And did the now was he doing this and. Just with the obviously he did it with the regular ropes and stuff, but the match in particular was a uh, barbed wire match if I remember correctly, right? No, 
No, oh, was, so this was just a regular match? It was a regular match, match. But there were two things that were different that night. Okay. The guys that set up the ring were not our regular ring crew. So the when we went out and we started the night, the rings were too loose. They were floppy. Yeah. And so the first guys who wrestled told Flair, who was in charge that night. So Flair told the ring guys, tighten them up. They over-tightened them. Then the referee was some a guy from France um, because I think it was Nick Patrick uh, was called back to the States. There was some kind of an emergency he had. So the French referee didn't know to pull the ropes apart, even if he could, because they were so tight. Yeah. So Foley had extra tight ropes with no one to release the tension Some on the that, ropes. Yeah. And that's why when he went down, his ear stayed up in the rope. Because, you know, I've heard, and I've seen the match, but don't, re- can't, off the top of my head, I'm having a brain fart. Yeah, loosen the ears so much, but I heard it was, yeah, one of those, when he got back in the action, it, that's when it kind of popped off, but. No, it popped off when. When he was still in the ropes. When he went through the ropes. Yeah. He went to the floor. Yeah. And his ear. And, Just kind of stayed. And his hair, part of his hair, stayed in the ropes. And then the referee tossed his ear to me. Yeah. And I picked up his ear, and um, I brought it back backstage to try to find the doctor to try to get um, ice. Yeah. To put his ear on ice. Well, what's your reaction here when you rough to your ears? You know, it's, it's one of those things where you never know what you're going to do till it happens. Yeah. I mean, who would ever... If you said to me, Gary, okay, sit here. I'm going to go in the kitchen. I'm going to go in the freezer, and I'm going to bring out a body part for you to hold. I'd say, get the hell out of here. Like, what are you, crazy? But when it happens, you do what you need to do. Yeah. And I'm someone, I won't even watch a movie that's extra bloody. Like, I have no stomach for it. Yeah. But this needed to happen. This We needed to try to save his ear. Go from point A to point B here. Right, and we weren't successful, but that was the best we could have done. We were talking about a lot of different guys and things throughout your career and all. But we, I got two more fan questions, but there's two things we want to bring up. Uh First of all, you mentioned that on July 23rd, uh, you're going to be part of the Masters of the Ring Wrestling Convention. Uh, photos, autographs, mobile device uh, announcements, you know, if you want your outgoing voicemail messages. and. Yep, it's a perfect time. It's uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. And it's out on the coast, and it's a vacation area, the beach. So if anyone's in the North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia area, or just is looking for a great place to spend a, a, a nice weekend, um, come on out. I'll be there from 10 in the morning till 5. And, you know, I want to meet you. I want to meet everybody. Yeah, definitely a good time. Uh, Masters of the Ring have done multiple shows like this and all before. I think they have a uh, wrestling show that evening as well. Uh, we'll put a link on uh, below for like the YouTube version of this and whatnot and through our social media. Yep, I'll be uh, at the convention, but I'm not scheduled for the evening event. So, doing things like this, the conventions and all that you do from time to time, yep. what kind of reaction do you get from the fans? Oh, you never, you know, you never know. You People come up with stories that um, would like blow you away. Um, things from, I had a guy come, come up to me once and he told me that as a kid, he wouldn't talk, he, whatever whatever reason. He he's, he wouldn't talk to his parents. He would he just wouldn't talk to anyone. 
And the only way they got him to talk was he would do my ring announcements. It was kind of odd. And, and he said he would look at me, and I looked like... Remember before we talked about Friendly, um, um, friendly Bob Freed and yes. being the, the approachable guy? Mm-hmm. He would look at me, and I would look like a regular guy, and I was in front of people, and I was announcing... And he said that gave him the courage to start talking. Now, was who, this a, uh, and never, I don't mean this in a bad way, special needs child or something like that? Or was well, he just a shy, introverted kid? I think he was just a shy, introverted kid who was going through something at the time. You never know how you're going to touch people, even though I'm like playing a more insignificant role in the, in the show. You just don't know how, how people will, will take to you. Well, speaking of which, and you'll be at the show on the July 23rd, folks. Yeah, Click the link below. That's right. Yeah, you too. July uh, 23rd, Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, will you have copies of Body Slammers there? Or? I'll have my book Body Slams there. I have memorabilia from WCW and WWF um, that, that I sell. Old programs and posters and um, T-shirts and all original stuff nothing reprinted or redone i'll have my trading card people want to buy a trading card i'll sign it people have wwe encyclopedias i'll happy happy to sign pose for pictures i'm a one kiss man, babies you know I'm he's running one, for office folks i'm one man band yeah and no he's not stealing he's slater's line but he is going to be the independent uh runner for new jersey as far as the president come november but <laughs> So, or and Carolina too, since she'll be in Wilmington, July twenty third. There you uh, go. So, uh, obviously, we mentioned the book there, but I heard a little little birdie had told me that you might have. Oh wait, wait! I don't, I don't like the beginning of this question. No, no, no! You look like this. <laughs> little birdie had told me you might have some more information, or that could be enough stuff or stories to be another book. Is that true? Oh, um. I'm going to be writing another book, but it's not a wrestling book. Can we ask what it might be? Yeah, yeah, a, a, a mystery. Ah, okay. Now, it might, it might, I don't, I don't know exactly what it's going to be. Um, I'm going to be writing uh, in the fall and into the winter. But um, it, it might be wrestling-based. I've written a screenplay, a wrestling-based screenplay that... Um, um, that I had bound, and I also have at these conventions, and that I've shopped around here and there. Any positive response for that? Um, no. <laughs> to tell you the truth, it, it must stink. I don't know. There, like I, when you create something and you don't get like immediate reaction from something, you have to start thinking. Well, it, maybe it's me. You you start overthinking things. But then you've heard of people who have successes, who have shopped around a product. For decades, and then all of a sudden, someone sees something in it, and buys the property, and it it hits as a movie or something. But I'm at the stage now where I'm thinking, well, maybe it's not so good. But hey, I hey, high know. spots, fine scene. The rest <laughs> of you guys who uh, do a video production, call Gary. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, we'll get or we'll start an Indiegogo or whatever that yeah social uh, crowd surfing. Let's go. Let's get this made. I, I guess I'm not the best pitchman for my own. Uh, screenplay, but I, I don't know, and I have it. And anyone wants to see it, I'll be happy to ship it off to them. And uh, you're paying for shipping, you cheap bastards. No. <laughs> uh, but do you? But do you already have an idea where you want to take this mystery, or are you still thinking about things? With I'm that? still thinking about it. I'm still uh, 
I, I'm not exact. I don't know that it's even a good thing f to know where it's going. Like from when I start writing it, I'm not sure that I want to have it so completely mapped out. I think I may want it to have a life of its own and see where it goes as I write. But is the fall winter there a uh, hard hard line on when you want to start working on this project? Yeah, absolutely. When I wrote Body Slams, um, I wrote for two years. And um, I wasn't teaching. I wasn't announcing. I just I sat home. I canceled my cable subscription. I had no TV. And it was wonderful. It was great. Such a... Uh unique perspective uh, let's wrap up with these two fan questions two other fan questions uh, that came in through I have a feeling media. that you're holding like the zingers for the end no no I, they're, they're good because obviously people brought up zingers? things that I, I'm okay know. with zingers I no just, no I, take ahead. them for what you mean go ahead. but other people go brought ahead. up hit me yeah not, well I'm not going to hit you like you hit me with that uh, arm bar uh What's your favorite match that you got to introduce? And that's from a guy named Larry Francis. Oh, Larry Francis. Larry Francis, when you when you announced for 35 years and you would you've announced tens of thousands of matches, that's a that's a real tough one, Larry. Um, I I I could make up an answer, but I really nothing don't have a definitive answer. Well, is there a uh, and obviously it goes back to thousands and thousands of guys. But are certain guys that you always got enjoyment out of watching? Well, there were two series of um, of matches that I enjoyed. Maybe, maybe Larry, this this would fall into what you're talking about. When I was with WWF, um, after San Martino lost the world title to Superstar Billy Graham, he came back for a rematch, and at the Philadelphia Spectrum, three months in a row, it was Bruno San Martino versus Superstar Billy Graham sold out the Philadelphia Spectrum, which was 19,500 people, three months in a row. That was a thrilling series. When I was with WCW, spread out over a longer period of time, the uh, Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair series of matches. Um, I, that was Hands down. That was thrilling and exciting also. The night that um, Ron Simmons won the world title from Vader, that was thrilling too. Anytime I announced in Europe, I, um, Royal Albert Hall, I mean, what an opportunity that was to, to, to do that. Um, so there are a lot of, I would say those, those two series of um, San Martino, Graham, and Flair Steamboat series were super charged. Yeah, because I would say go pay nine ninety nine and all that, but I don't get, we don't get any royalties, so we're not going to say YouTube them uh, if you can. Uh, the other question here is from a Ron Brown out in, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma. What are your thoughts on the industry that's changed so much throughout the years from when you got in it, from wrestling, wrestling, as some would say, to sports entertainment? What has changed? What, what Past the uh, obvious? Yeah, what, what's your thought on how things have changed throughout the years? Oh, um... You know what? There are probably less people watching wrestling today than there were when they at the height of the territory, territories. Um, if you were to, to add up all the different territories and their um, their live shows, their syndicated shows in in the callers or the questioners territory like Mid South, um, all of their house shows and their their TVs. Um, I would just like to see more variety, to tell you the truth. 
Um, but I'm, I'm not one of these guys that says, oh, it was great back then and it's horrible now. Not at all. I, I'm, I'm really impressed with many of the talented wrestlers that are... I, I, I watched WWE a couple times, one before, the week before WrestleMania and the week after. There's a lot of you know, terrific talent there. A lot of great talent on the indies, especially, which is why I worked with Ring of Honor and I had such a, a thrilling time of working with these guys. Now, at the time, this was the mid-2000s, Ring of Honor, I was working with Colt Cabana. I was, inter uh, I was interviewing CM Punk, Daniel Bryant. I mean, this is, this is huge. Of this generation. Yeah, know. I mean, that was a thrill for me to see how these guys um, have worked and flourished. And uh, what's the name of the guy now that's uh, the top WWE now? He was also with uh, it's a fellow from Georgia. Um, he was with Ring of Honor for a long time. Uh, Seth Rollins? No, but he's not from Georgia. No, 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 no. Anyway, yeah. what a what a crop of you know homicide. You know the yeah. New York crew, um, the Hit Squad. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And um, Nigel McGuinness, yes, was with Ring of Honor at the time that that I was there. Um, John Walters was at Ring of Honor, who went on to to work for the Mexican organization, AAA or. Um, no, it was, um, it was a U.S. based a lucha group. Okay. Um, so I, I'm not going to be one that's going to put down today's wrestling. Um, it's, it's different. Yeah. It's it, different and it's not different. You know, it's, is it's, that just because of how times have changed throughout the years? Well, it's because of what we talked about earlier, where it was presented as a, an, a real competition back then and not now. I think it makes it more difficult now to capture people's imagination um, because of the exposure that the business has had. But also, you know, in certain ways, at least for me, I can only speak for me, there's a, a certain amount of respect, too, for what the guys and gals put their bodies through. Absolutely. Because that's had to extend further and further yeah, and, to and, cross that line. And what the exposure of the business has also done for the thinking fan is giving you more levels on which to appreciate what you're seeing which we didn't have back then because you know we didn't have an insight as to the inner workings of what was going on in wrestling. So it's a, it's a richer experience for a fan, but I think it makes it more difficult for the performer. Well, I just looked at the clock on this. We've gone well over an hour. My Gary, gosh. Yeah. Gary Michael Capetta, thank you, sir. Can we block something in August? Yeah, go for it. You want to talk about it? Uh, well, for yeah, we had uh, taken a quick break here, and I had a we had asked Gary about the event that fans on our social media and all are aware of helping Operation Ward Fifty Seven that helps different groups of wounded warriors, and we're going to be doing a live broadcast in Philadelphia, August twenty third, and Gary's said okay to coming down to be a part of that show. I thank you for inviting me, yeah. Yeah, Bill Apter's going to be there, who's a longtime colleague of yours. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Great guy as well. And, you know, stay tuned on the social media for that, Facebook and all that technological stuff. So And it's for a, a great cause. Yeah. And anyone that comes out, um, hopefully there'll be opportunity to take pictures or yeah. whatever. Well, yeah, we'll you know, this is... You pay your admission, 
And everything after you get in there is no It's going to be a three-ring circus. Everything else is a bonus. Working on food and... It, it's going to be a good oh, night. Oh, you didn't out. tell me there's going to be food. Oh, yeah. That's even better. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to feed me? Yeah. <laughs> You're you're paying double, Gary. There you go. So, hey, it's for a great cause. Yeah, I'll be, yeah that's I'll, fine. No, I'll pay all triple. Ki- all cutting aside, though, it's going to be a good night out. But thank you for uh, welcoming us in your home. and Literally. Don't, yeah, we're, we're sitting in his uh, den, living room, whatever you want to call it. We're us. in the middle of the woods. Yes. Can you put that knife down, please? <laughs> Gary? Gary? <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Lord have mercy on my next 30 years. My next 30 years. I'm going to have some... Hi, this is Booker T, five-time WCW champion and general manager of Friday Night SmackDown. You listen to Crazy Train Radio. Now, can you dig that, sucker?